720 WGN. Good evening. I'm John Landegger. Thanks for uh, tuning in. It's 10 minutes after 7 o'clock. Now, that example there that was in the middle of the jingle, take this job and shove it. That is not what I would call an example of quiet quitting. No, that would be yelling. I'm leaving. Uh, the reason I bring that up is uh, we're going to talk right now to uh, Julie Bauke, who's the president and chief career strategist, strategist at the Bauke Group, and also, I might add, the author of the book, Stop Peeing on Your Shoes, Avoiding the Seven Mistakes That Screw Up Your Job Search. You know, anybody that comes up with that kind of title, Julie, is okay in my book. Let me <laughs> tell you. Right. <laughs> oh, no. No problem. So, uh, we've uh, contacted Julie to discuss this thing that's called quiet quitting, which the more I read about it, hear about it, the more I just roll my eyes and go, who the heck ever thought this up? Where did this come from? I mean, where did it come from? It's a very misleading phrase. You know, it makes it sound like, you know, you just you pull the covers over your head and never show up again. Um, but which, you know, I guess some people do. But what it really means is setting it, I, I, the way I, I, I interpret it is setting boundaries for yourself. You know, saying I'm going to do my job. I'm going to do a good job, but I'm going to set boundaries. I'm not going to do the jobs of two people or three people which unfortunately in this market with a lot of organizations not being able to fill their open positions, the extra work has fallen back on the people who are already there. And it is, it's getting to be too much for a lot of people and they're just setting boundaries for what they'll do. Well, I was writing an article um, from business insider about quiet quitting and also quiet firing. And, It said here that this term, the quitting part of it, took off on TikTok among millennials and Gen Zers, uh, referring to employees doing what their job expects of them and not offering to do more than what they get paid to do, which is, I suppose, a different way of saying what you just said. But um, to me, it's like, how do I say this? I come from a different era, obviously. I, I did not have to uh, deal with the pandemic. And um, initially, when I was young, you know, I mean, I've been working for a long time. Uh, I worked remotely during the pandemic. But if I was a young person, or, you know, a, a zeer or a millennial or whatever, and I'm working remotely, and I find that, you know what, this is less stressful, and I don't have to commute and all of that. I'd like to keep doing this. That part of all of this, I sort of understand, you know, I mean, that's, that's easier for me to understand than someone who just says, well, there's so much work to do. I'm not going to do anything more than's required of me in the job description. Well, you know, you and I, I think are both boomers and we came of age in a, in a work workplace that was so different than what the young the younger generations are coming into, and we, you know, I remember this as I'm sure you do. You you showed up and you did what you were told, and you yes. did it as long as you could. And you know, the, the whole workforce or career strategy was 
get one job, get your job, hang on to it, hopefully if you're lucky for 40 years, then retire, and then you can start having fun. And that all started to fall apart in the 90s when mass layoffs started. Yes. And people started realizing that loyalty does not exist. And it really never did, but we had that, that notion that it did because there really weren't layoffs. I mean, you had to do something really bad to lose your job. And so the, our relationship with work started to fray in the 90s. And, you know, our kids started to see that, wow, you know, work can be not a good thing. And you can lose your job, and that's devastating. And so we it's just been changing. Our relationship with work has been changing drastically the last couple of decades. And, you know, the so layoffs started in mass in the 90s, and they've continued. Then you look at 2008 when we had this horrible recession and companies had to move to not just cutting the fat, but cutting the muscle and cutting the bone. And so really good workers who gave their all, who thought they were safe from a layoff and always had mm. been safe from a layoff, right. started to get laid off. And so yeah. this, this security that anybody felt, whether it was false or not, again, frayed further. And people started to say, wait a minute, you know, my company is they my company cares about me until the day they don't. And it's time for me, right? <laughs> yeah, it's true. So true. So true. <laughs> yeah. So it's time for me to start acting accordingly and starting to look out for myself, my health, my well being, sectors of my life that aren't necessarily the work sectors. Right. And it's just this has picked up steam and now We've got millennials, and only the tip of Gen Z is in the workforce so far. You know, they're they're still very young, a lot of them, and they aren't in the workforce yet. But this is this this train has picked up steam, and it is not going to slow down. And so, this relationship with work that these younger people have is: I want to be healthy. I want to have relationships. I want to have fun. I don't want to wait until I'm sixty-five years old to have fun and travel. And so they are saying, yeah, I'm not going to work 60 to 80 hours a week just because you can't fill these open positions. Because guess what, John? You know as well as I do, your best employees, the people who do the most, they're the ones who get piled on the most. The slackers, the people who kind of slack off, nobody takes them work because they won't get it done. And so the good people end up getting piled on, and they don't typically get any sort of you know remuneration or bonus for it. It's just, you know, a pat on the head, keep it up. And you know, I think that you know, a lot of people have said in a nice way, take this job and shove it. And sometimes <laughs> in a not so nice way, what not yeah. quiet quitting, but noisy quitting. They're just saying, yeah. you know what, I'm going to do my job and I'm going to be valuable and I'm going to work hard, but I'm not going to do the jobs of two people and I'm going to draw the line. And, you know, I think, I think, you know, I think other generations can learn from that to some extent. Oh, yeah. Uh, and participate in quiet quitting 720 wgn at 721 with john landecker uh we're talking to julie balke who is the uh, president and chief career strategist at the balke group and we're talking about quiet quitting which is first of all not quitting <laughs> is it i mean right. is it no no then no. why is it it's, why why is it called that then because, like, you know, that's just clickbait. I think it just, it's, it's, uh, it's to get you to inspect it, listen to uh, it, react okay. to it. You know, yeah, no, it's not quitting. It's just, 
it's pulling back to a reasonable level. And then, but you know what? You decide what's a reasonable level of work for you. Your employer gets to decide if your level of reasonable is good enough for them. So there's a risk to it, too. And oh, but I mean, when you, go for, when you go for a job interview or, or do it over virtual media or social platforms, aren't the uh, responsibilities of the job uh, part of the process? You're being told what it is that you're going to be doing and what it is that's expected of you. Isn't that still true? It, it is, but I think it's, it is generally very vague, and it's still left to be sort of, you know, TBD as you get into the job. So if you're in a job, let's say there's four people that normally do this particular job. There, there are two open positions out of that four. Two people have quit and gone to other companies. They joined the Great Resignation, and now there's two people left to do the work of four. And so your company, a lot of times, will be like, well, you know, we need you to pick up the slack over here, take this extra, do this, do that. And all of a sudden, this job that you signed up for is, you know, it has expanded greatly in scope and expectation. And then, of course, the, the, the problem is if you do a really good job of picking up the slack for those two open positions, the company then says, well, wait a minute, why do we need to hire these two other people? We can close those requisitions because apparently you can do the job of two. Well, I know... I know yeah. all about that uh, philosophy. There was a, a portion in the you were talking about the nineties, uh, you yeah. know, and in my and in my business of broadcasting, um, there was um, legislation passed that allowed one company, one broadcast company, to own I don't know how many thousands and thousands of radio stations. So they bought them all. Then what did they do? They consolidated them into group clusters. They if they had four stations that they owned and used to have, just for example, four general managers, all of a sudden they only needed one because yep. it took just one manager to run all those four stations, according to this new <laughs> right. business plan. So I understand totally what that's oh, about. Oh, yeah. Okay. So I get the idea that people could be ticked off about being asked to do more than was required, uh, especially if they don't feel that they're getting any positive feedback, whether it's support, money, vacation days, I don't know, whatever. But what's quiet firing then? I mean, I mean, if we have quiet, because that's another term I'm looking at here, quiet quiet quitting and quiet firing. How how does that work? Yeah, that's even a bigger eye roll. Um, you know, it, it, what it is is really passive-aggressive management. Ah. So, so the definition of quiet firing is there's a couple things that I've read that they say qualify as this quiet firing. One is ignoring your ignoring your mediocre people until they quit, mm-hmm. freeze them out, which is just just you know chicken you know no backbone leadership, and the other is you know, people who are, you know, people who are these high performers are saying, well, wait a minute, if I'm doing all these great things and you're telling me I'm doing all these great things, but you're not recognizing me for it, giving me a bonus when it's raise time, you're not giving me a raise. In other words, you know, you're not showing me that you're valuing me. I'm taking that as you don't really want me here anymore. Mm. And, and so it's, it's kind of a stretch. And I, you know, again, the eye roll, but it's, it's really, we have those of us who've been those people, your listeners who've been in corporate America, know that there's not a lack of bad leadership in corporate America. It is 
you know, people and, and what we're what we're in the middle of. So so management leadership has always been very top down. I have a bigger job, I have a bigger office, I will tell you what to do. And these younger generations are saying, you know what? We want you to talk to us, work with us, and not don't talk at us, talk with us, collaborate with us. We want to respect you. We don't want to do what you say just because you're our boss. We want to respect you. And they, they're looking for something different from work. And a lot of organizations have not hired, promoted, and trained their managers to lead that way. And so that's why there's this exodus of people looking for better leadership, better culture. You know, two-thirds to three-quarters of people leave their jobs, not because they can't do the job, not because of pay, and not because they don't like the job. It's because they are not a fit in that culture, and it generally gets down to bad communication, poor management, and really a lack of respect, you know, for the values of the organization. Two-thirds to three-quarters, and that goes across generations. That's not do, just the younger generation. Do these? Do you know from your research if these people have another job lined up when they do that, or are they just willing to bail without uh, a parachute, so to speak? So that is so interesting. So I've been doing this for 25 years, and so I have seen all. I I've always say I feel like I've seen it all, but then I learn I haven't. But in general, <laughs> isn't that life? Um, yeah. Well, and a very interesting stat from the last couple of years was that 20. 21% of people changed jobs last year, and 26% of that 21% regret their change, regret mm. their move. Mm. And part of it is, so, so why? Part of it is some of those people quit without another job lined up. Right. They believed the headlines and thought the minute they quit, there'd be 10 offers lined up. And they found that it takes a while to find a job. It definitely takes a while to find the right job. It's a process. And so there were some group of people that said, literally take this job and shove it, walked out the door, and, you know, it took them longer to find something else than they thought it was going to. The other part of those reg- people who had regret were people who jumped at, they, 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 they chased a shiny object. So pay, time and time again, for decades, has shown not to be a motivator, it can be a dissatisfier, but when it comes to what people want from work, mm-hmm. it's in the middle of the pack. Wow. Now, if you're underpaying people, that's definitely going to cause some problems. But if you're to continue to throw money at people, which is what recruiters and other companies have been doing the last couple of years in order to pick off talent, if I am chased by a shiny object, and that shiny object is a 20% increase, I'm super giddy. I'm so excited. I'm thinking about my Lambo I'm going to buy. And then I get there and I go, oh crap. So 20% more isn't making me happy because I like this job less than I like my last job. And so they regret jumping for the wrong reason. And that's what we see over and over again. And that's one of the mistakes in my book is going, looking for, going, starting a job search without knowing what you're looking for. And so it's really easy to get pulled by money, but so many times, as people will tell you, the thing that made them unhappy, it wasn't money. Right. And so well, there are people you know, who the, jump for the wrong reason. The expression money can't buy happpiness has always been around for generations. Uh, Julie, we're yeah. out of time. I, it's, been, right. it's been great talking to you, though, uh, and all the best. Thank you so much for being with us. All right. Thanks, John. All right. Take care. You betcha.